0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 77. My guest is Linda Griffin. Hello. I'm sitting here with Linda Griffin here in Tuakon, Utah, where we're actually working together at the moment. Yahoo and i'm so excited that you're doing this early in the summer you were like I, i've heard of that podcast someone should yeah. interview me i was like well it's my podcast <laughs> i will do it so i'm so thrilled you're a wonderful woman you're, everyone you. talks about what a gracious human you are
1: oh that's nice to hear yeah. thank you is
0: that something that you just comes naturally uh, have you always been like that because that's can be hard in show business
1: yeah i think i've always been that way i believe sort of outside of myself looking at the bigger picture and people i love people i'm a giver and generous that way i give of them myself sometimes it gets in my way but mm. <laughs> for the most part that's where my happiness comes from
0: that's a good place yeah so i'll start off by reading your major credits and okay. we'll go from there so uh, on broadway you were a drowsy chaperone yep. and something rotten
1: yes. national
0: tours you did a course line beauty and the beast wicked 42nd street
1: Oh, and drowsy on the road for oh, a couple months, too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah,
0: Let's get this started. Where are you from, and how did you get started?
1: <laughs> I grew up in San Bernardino, born in Barstow, so I'm a desert rat. Mm. And uh, went to school at Cal State Fullerton, so I'm a Southern California girl. Um, yeah, I got started. How did I get started? Well, my husband and I have been married for a long time, and, and Tom and I uh, met when we were very young doing a community theater in San Bernardino, and then we went to Cal State Fullerton together as well. Once we kind of graduated from school, we started our own production company. And for about eight to 10 years, we were producing industrials and a cabaret and business meetings and things like that. And then we got into rock and roll promotion and had our own amphitheater in Burbank. Oh, my <laughs> so gosh. There's a lot There's a lot about that that's kind of crazy. That's a very long story. How much do you want to know about it? <laughs> sure, as much as you want. We had a cabaret, and then we did these business industrials, and then we found this beautiful outdoor amphitheater in Burbank where we were living at the time, and our heart was really in theater, and we weren't really doing theater proper at that point. And we thought, wow what is this gorgeous place? Why is nothing happening here? What's going on? So we started to look into it, and we put together a proposal and ended up getting a contract for the summer to produce concerts. So here we, we were 24 and 25 years oh old gosh, or something crazy. Yeah. yeah. And our first concert was Weird Al Yankovic oh. and Howie <laughs> Mandel and Dr. Demento, and it was crazy, crazy and successful, and we sort of limped along that season with very successful concerts, but our seed money didn't really quite come through the way we had been promised. So at the end of that summer, we ended up having to stop and our company went bankrupt. Mm. So at that point, we were sort of standing there looking at each other, well, what do we do now? And we just needed to find work. So I was, I guess, 26 or so. And I went to my first professional audition at that point and got a dinner theater production of A Chorus Line. And that's really where it all began.
0: <laughs> wow. So you actually didn't start your theater theater career until you were 26. Yeah. Oh, so did you train in high school or what? Not you...
1: really. I didn't start really training until college. I sort of discovered it later. Like I I saw these shows in the park and I, I was like, oh, I I love that. I auditioned when I was about 14 or 15 for one of those first shows, which was Cinderella. And that's where I met Tom. And up to that point, I'd sort of been telling stories on a cassette player, like Mm. in my room by myself. I make up stories and make up all the voices and all the sound effects. (laughs) So I had sort of that creative spirit within me. And I was in choirs and things like that, but choirs back then weren't like the show choirs of today, you know. So when I went to college... I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't even really know what that meant. I just knew that I wanted to to do that process, that I wanted to perform and continue to create characters and, and do that. And that's when I started to take dance classes, was in college. So I just took, as an elective, like I took beginning ballet and loved that, and then I took a jazz class and a modern class, and I actually ended up with a dance degree because I'd been taking so much dance. Oh wow. And at the end of the day we were like, "Oh, well you've got more credits over here. I have a theater degree with a dance emphasis."
0: Oh, okay. even though I
1: started out as an acting emphasis major, the history and all of that stuff that you sort of take made it more of a dance emphasis at that point.
0: I like that. Yeah, one of the things that's impressive about you and women like you is that you have a successful family, a mother. How do you do all that in this business? Because we were talking about earlier, I'm in a place where I want to find happiness outside theater. Because mm-hmm. I think we get so locked into it being our complete life that when I see women, and sometimes men, but mm-hmm. uh, women, they're so nurturing because they have happiness and joy outside of, of this. How have you been able to manage both?
1: Well, I think mainly is because because my husband is so supportive, you know, and he's also a creative person, Mm. and he's a conductor and a musical director. I just really lucked into a situation where I felt very supportive. Supported and supportive of him, and he supported me, so when he would get a job, I was like, that's great. And when I got the job, awesome, we were living in New York when we found out that, you know, we were going to have our son Max. And he was like, great, okay, so here's our next thing that we're going to support each other in. (laughs) It <laughs> was parenthood. And I think you just always keep your feet in both arenas, maybe. I guess when women ask me this question, I say to them, you know, you can do it all, but it's just maybe it's not always going to be happening at the same time. Maybe mm. you take a little step back from your career and you focus on this and you find another way to be creative, maybe while you're not working in show business, you know. I don't know. I just, I guess I never made show business so important. Mm. You know, I never bought into the idea that whatever I was doing at the time defined who I was. Right. You know, I came in as Linda and then this is what you're gonna get no matter what.
0: It's so interesting because whatever I'm in defines me and it doesn't work anymore. It's a trap. It is. And it's uh, It's a
1: trap because, you know, show businesses, I, 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 you know, I tell people this, are you gonna look at your resume at the end of your life? No, you're gonna look at the relationships you've built. You're gonna look at the love that you've shared you're going to look at, you know, the people you've helped along the way. That's going to mean more to you at the end of your life than, oh, I was on the line with Donna McKechnie. And right. That was awesome. But, you know, at the end of my life, I'm going to look at the body of people that I've loved and gotten to share all these experiences with.
0: I mean, that's really how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm coming to that point, and I'm realizing that the amount of happiness I get from the outside work, mm-hmm. it's just to be successful is hard to lose focus. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for me, it's realizing that, uh, that putting focus on your happiness isn't bad, especially if show business doesn't bring you as much happiness as it used to.
1: Right. I mean, happiness is simple. Happiness comes from low expectations. (laughs) I mean, honestly, happiness can come in the form of a a fabulous meal or a beautiful vista or just a conversation. Right. I know for a fact that having that failure, it wasn't even a failure really on our part, but the the bankruptcy sort of taught us then that we could do without a lot and still be successful Mm. in who we were as people. People put a lot of pressure on themselves to do a lot, you know, do less and be happier.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, that sounds great. So you spent a lot of time on the road. Uh, yeah. So a lot of your shows were touring shows. Did you like living out of a suitcase?
1: Well, I don't really because most of the tours I've driven.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So my first two tours were smaller. They were stock tours. One was out of Chicago, and then we went out did a, a summer stock tour. That was the 42nd Street, and that was my first tour. And that was, you know, we used to have a saying, every Monday it's O'Hare because the hub the flights was Chicago you know I was younger and so we were crazy and I just enjoyed just that experience of seeing the country and meeting all these incredible people from New York because I had auditioned for that in in LA Mm. so that was really my first experience with New Yorkers and the New York showbiz energy and all of that But when I tour now, I take a good knife and I take, you know, a a cutting board and I take a blanket and I take pictures and I take things that create home for me and that environment of comfort. Yeah. So when I go home, I'm looking at things that are familiar, not just a hotel room. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you can make a good meal, if you can look at something that reminds you of home, doesn't feel so disjointed and like you're away. Yeah that makes sense and then I just embrace where I am there's a saying be where your feet are and that's how I feel if I'm here I'm here you're going to get everything and I'm not going to pine for what is, what isn't right here
0: right and it seems like you made some really good friends on that tour
1: 42nd street yes oh yeah lifelong yes. yeah I met Janie Walsh Weber who directed Cinderella here at Tuacan. Casey Nicola <laughs> who some of you may know, Ken Nagy, Doug Okerson, Steven Reed, uh, uh, David Lowenstein, Darlene Wilson, my Mm -hmm. heart. Um, You know, so many incredible people and we just bonded like crazy. It was fun. It was just fun, you know. We all had sort of that same knuckleheady, stupid sense of humor. Yeah. And,
0: <laughs> and you had a crazy work ethic, too. And you were Anytime Annie, right? Yeah. So you had a Time magazine spread?
1: Yeah. They did an article, Broadway on the Road. They focused on a few shows. Cats was on tour at the time in our show. And it was great. It was it was a nice little mention, and it and it was sweet.
0: Mm. Did you still have that? It's
1: like- I do. I have the cover somewhere. I have the magazine somewhere, Yeah. Oh, very cool. (laughs) I'm a saver.
0: Right now you're playing the fairy godmother Mm -hmm. in Cinderella, and you've become quite a bit of a character actress. And it's fantastic. And I'm becoming a character actor as Mm -hmm. well. And it's interesting because both of us come from dance Mm backgrounds. How is it when people just assume you don't dance, (laughs) and they look at you as the older people that don't dance? Because that's always shocking to me.
1: That they look at you that you're not a dancer, you mean? I never really bought into the fact that I was a dancer. Oh. You know, I've always considered myself a character woman. Mm. Even when I was playing dancing ingenues, I was still really approaching it like a character woman in many ways. Right. So my ingenues were always a little quirkier with a little more sass and edge. I was never that studio dancer that grew up. So it was always something that I had to sort of go, yeah, I dance. Mm. You know, I I had to sort of own that myself. So being in this place now, I don't know, I'm, I'm having the time of my life really because it's, it's just... Fun to sort of reveal yourself little by little to people when they're younger and they make assumptions about who you are. Right, yes, definitely. <laughs> and, then, and then you'll like lay out some stupid step or you'll throw out a little tap routine and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Their perception is rocked. Yeah. And, and then I just go, yeah, I got a little something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, you must be a great tapper to play in Taimani.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tap for me was sort of the entry into dance because I just picked it up fast and loved it so much it just gives me so much joy and I just I just love it so I'm not great but I certainly can get my way through
0: when you watch I know sometimes I because I've dealt with injuries and because we're also doing Prince of Egypt right what these dancers do are amazing
1: oh I could never compete I could never have competed with them when I was that age no me neither
0: but then I'm also like I, I couldn't even try to do that anymore like and some days I'm glad, and other days I miss it.
1: Yeah. I never was that dancer anyway, Mm. so it's not something I've let go of. I don't look at it and think, oh, I want to do that. I just want to dance. So, just dancing, for me, can be as simple as possible and it's still enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think, oh, I have to dance this way for me to feel good about it. I just want to move, you know? I do. And, I mean, even in a Zumba class, I'm really happy. (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just moving your body and being with other people and it's that that collaborative effort yeah that's the joy for me
0: yeah absolutely so Wicked was a big part of your life how long did you tour with Wicked?
1: uh just a year
0: oh just a year yeah
1: Beauty and the Beast I toured with Several years. I did the L.A. company for a couple of years, and then my whole family was on that tour for a couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah. Max played Chip for a year.
0: Oh, wow. And my
1: husband was one of the conductors and keyboard players for a couple of years. And so we were like a Griffin family circus on the road for...
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you were a silly girl? I was a silly girl, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, so that was really... That was when we were really, like, in our car with all of our stuff, seeing all the historical places and, you know, hitting all the joints and and just enjoying that time as a family. It was really, really fun. And then Wicked kind of came out of the blue. I hadn't toured in quite a while, so I was really kind of going back to, that, to the idea of being on the road. I took my car, and I just loved it. I loved, and being in that kind of a big show, like Wicked is its own animal. Yeah. It's such a, what is the word? It's, it's a machine. It's a machine in many ways, but the attention to the individual is really cool too. Like you're in a machine, but you're also very encouraged to be who you are within that machine. That's nice. So they're not making you be like anybody else before you. Which is oh, great. That is so you, really c- it's great. really yes. great, and that's why all those lovely Elphaba's and Glinda's. You know, there is the type, right? But they have a lot of freedom, too. I mean, at least that's what I've observed. You know, and I certainly, my midwife was very different from any other midwife, and my, mine was the happy little goat midwife. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was kind of fun to be in a machine like that too, in a way, because it's very you know what to expect, right? You know. And you're going to sit down for a while. And you're going to have full houses no matter what. Yeah, and the I mean, audiences are going to love oh it. Oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. It's That was thrilling.
0: Yeah. And then you became close to Stephen Schwartz then?
1: Yeah, we met and um, we have a mutual friends. And so it was more away from Wicked where oh, okay. I got to know him better. Definitely, that's the connection. Yeah. yeah. And Stephen is interesting because he was my composer when I first started to clue into musical theater, it was his music that took me into the world. Mm. You know, I listened to the Godspell record, like brothers and my sister were like, stop playing that record, <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> And Magic Show and, oh, Baker's Wife. I mean, it was, it was kind of a revelation to me, that whole world. And then that took me to, you know, Steven Sondheim and Anyone Can Whistle at Encores. Oh. That's another one of my favorite things that I've done where you're sitting there and he's in the room and you're in the room and you're just like what is happening that's you know
0: that's crazy that's how it was with uh, with with us with Prince of Egypt I was like I can't believe Stephen Schwartz is here yeah so that was pretty
1: yeah it's wild isn't it it is wild you have to sort of stop and take notice
0: yeah especially I think when there are people that are uh, that you've known for a while like Mm -hmm. someone like Casey Mm -hmm. I knew Casey when he was a uh, a course boy just like you And it's weird, like now sometimes when I see him, he's a completely different entity. Yes. (laughs) And it's, and it's... it's And
1: yet he's still that guy. He's still Casey. Yeah.
0: And so both of your Broadway shows were with Casey Yeah.
1: He, I went... So you never
0: know who you're working with when you're 18 or or 26.
1: Yeah. This, it's a funny story because I had left show business for a while. I, after Beauty and the Beast, Max and I left the tour and went home because he was going into the fifth grade and tom was still out on the road so i just thought we need to settle down have him do the rest of his fifth grade all of his fifth grade at home and take him into middle school with more of a grounded situation rather than dragging him around <laughs> into the country so max and i were home and i i start to get antsy so i started taking uh gardening classes because we have a little yard at home and then i really got drawn into that whole world of gardening and horticulture and and then I went all in and got certified as a horticulturist and so for about five six years I did that professionally. Wow. So in the middle of all of that Casey was opening Spamalot and Darlene as a gift to him and a gift to me had me come to New York for the opening. I was there with with him that night we were (laughs) staying at the Paramount. And he had a meeting the next morning after the opening of Spamalot for this little show that was being done at the Fringe Festival or whatever they called it up in Toronto. But it was drowsy. So he was meeting with the creatives of the Drowsy Chaperone and one of the possible producers. And he said, there's this little show. I'm not sure. It's quirky. So he went off to that meeting and then I went back to California and that was that. That was just... a little tick on the the radar. And I was not auditioning. I didn't have a headshot. I was not in any way, shape, or form thinking, oh, that's the show for me. None of that was going on. He was coming out to L.A. for the L.A. auditions. And, you know, fast forward several months. He's at the airport at JFK, and he calls me up, and we had already made plans to have dinner together that week. And he says, hey, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but this show, I mean, I think you're really right for it. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I mean, do you want to come in and audition tomorrow? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <And> of <laughs> course, I'm like, no, I don't know. What What are you saying? You know, so I get off the phone and Max and Tom are there and I said, you know, he wants me to come in and audition. I, and he goes, and they're both like, well, of course. No, you have to go. So now I'm having to get a gorilla headshot. <laughs> I have to figure out what I'm gonna sing. I have to find a dress that fits. I haven't done anything like this for several years yeah. and i'm just panicking tom thank god is a beautiful vocal coach and got me ready and my friend rex bullington who's an incredible photographer took me into the park and <laughs> got a headshot <laughs> and my friend i borrowed a dress from my friend scott lane who is a costume oh, designer and, yes. and so he had he had a dress and i actually went into the audition with like an old song that I'd been singing for years, and a and my ukulele. And I sang a ukulele tune. Because Casey was bringing in so many people that he knew, he really laid low on all of our auditions. Mm. He kind of let what all the other creatives thought kind of come to the top, you know? So that's how that happened. All of a sudden, there I was. I'm at the Amundsen. Wow. You know, rehearsing with this incredible group of people, all from New York. There were a few of us from L.A. It changed my whole life because it changed my focus and my career and it sort of wakened up a part of me that had been lying low for a while.
0: Yeah, and people talk about Drowsy being one of the most magical experiences that they've ever had Mm -hmm. creatively. What was so special about that process?
1: Well, I think because Casey, first of all, anything with him is magical because Mm. he's... So incredibly creative and so incredibly generous with how you are allowed to contribute. Because it was an original piece and nobody knew anything about Mm. it. So it wasn't based on a book. It wasn't based on a movie. It wasn't based on anything that anybody knew. An old story or anything. It was this crazy, fun little romp of a piece that was very complex. And... It changed so much as we went through that process in l a and then even further when we were in New York. What was great about it is the creative team too were really on board with being present, you know when he would go, Well, we need something different or we're not telling the right story here or, we're we need to change this mm. they were they were very on board, you know let yeah, okay, all right, this, this and this, and everybody was like everybody was on board to make it work, and I think because it was his first director choreographer time and so many of us knew him as a friend we wanted to support the effort and we wanted to support its success and we just laughed all the time Mm. even when something was going wrong we would just laugh you know, because it was just so crazy and ridiculous. Yeah. I and mean, there's a guy blindfolded on skates. I yeah. mean, how can you not laugh?
0: Exactly, you know? yeah. And,
1: you know, Danny Burstein and, and Sutton and Beth, and I mean, what a creative group of people Absolutely. that are just fools. Yeah, I call it like delicious rascals, everyone,
0: yeah, everyone. Yeah. And
1: the ensemble, there's only four people in the ensemble, in the, that initial L.A. ensemble. And then we added Swings, of course. That was a whole other beautiful addition to the company. But, you know, to have an ensemble of only four people on stage is just a unique
0: really experience. Really yes.
1: So there's a lot less of that ensemble-principle divide. Part of the joy of that was creating our own little principal characters mm. in our ensemble <laughs> no
0: <laughs> which is very important I think that which was incredibly realize, important yeah, that's what gets you yeah gets you through the show but also gets the show texture right right and most directors want that right, right and they're not gonna do it for you
1: no you have to bring it yeah yeah tell your story make it up yeah yeah
0: yeah, so boy, we, did had that, we. <laughs> yeah we had that conversation watching actors that want to be directed and told everything. Mm-hmm. And especially I think when you know in the ensemble, you're like, sometimes we're not going to be told something. You have to make right. choices no matter who you are on stage. I don't know if it's old school that you learn it, but.
1: I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a theater. I mean, when my first theater experience was this little community theater program called Junior University. And they were all original adaptations of, of stories. Mm. And so one summer you'd be in the, in the chorus. And the next summer, maybe you were a small part. And the next summer, he wrote Peter Pan for you, which is what happened with me. And it taught me that it's a collaborative effort. Everybody's in it together. It's not about who's the star, or who's you know, the drunk on the lamppost. Mm-hmm. It's all part of that big picture. And so I, I approach everything the same like I'm the most important person in the story. You yeah. know? And then it just makes it that much more fun when you do it that way. Yeah. You know, my my friend Doug Okerson, who was billion Forty Second 42nd Street, you know, he came to see Drowsy Chaperone, and he goes, yeah, it was really great. It was about a little maid. <laughs> 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 you, know? <laughs> you know, it's just so, and it's fun. I just love, I love that. No matter what the position is, it, it's joyous oh. to be able to collaborate and
0: create. Yeah. So the, your next probably show was Something Rotten. Mm-hmm. And so,
1: yeah, 10 years later, cuz I went back to LA oh, after Drowsy closed. I went back to LA and started up my life again there and then something rotten came up. Yeah.
0: And how was that just a phone call or Yeah, yeah. Really?
1: Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. And that was one of the most clever shows I've seen in a long time. But how was that creative process cuz it I mean talk about laughing a lot.
1: Oh my gosh. I wish I had some stuff on tape cuz it was so Crazy. I mean, look at that company.
0: Oh, gosh, yes.
1: I mean, Brooks and Christian and Brian and Heidi and... Kate and John Cariani. I mean, Minsky's was um, a show that Casey directed at the Amundsen. Yes. And that's where I discovered John Cariani in a role in in Minsky's, which never made it to Broadway. Unfortunately, it's such a great piece and really incredible. All of us just felt, and and another ensemble of widely varied people, Mm -hmm. too, which is great when you have people who are older and younger and all these just creating a village of people that are interesting. And again, just that freedom to be part of the process. And when you make something that's not good, you're still laughing. You're still being bold about your choices, yeah. you know. Because you know Casey's not going to throw you out of the room.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. <laughs> He'll
1: go, no, 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 while he's laughing at your ridiculous, you know, <laughs> contribution. But yeah, and that show changed a lot. I mean, that show changed an awful lot. I mean, there, were no, there was a whole stocks number. That was a tap dance while they were in stock. Like Uh, the men were in stocks.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I
1: mean, the egg number, that changed a lot. There was a time when we were rehearsing a whole new section during the day while doing the older stuff at night for the preview audience, you know. And then we did it one night. And then the next morning, Casey came in and goes, well, that didn't work. (laughs) We're going to go back to a different version of the old way, you know. He's so good at how he puts a show together. I think people really underestimate how yeah. brilliant he is at that. Because he really knows what he's doing.
0: He definitely does. Yeah. And I think it's from all his years doing it. So yeah. many directors, choreographers, well, mostly directors, have never done it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Casey's really done it. Yeah. I and mean, I always respect that.
1: And he's really good at, at even things that are beautifully done. We had a quartet that was Running. And it wasn't furthering the story at the mm. time that it needed to, and it got cut, and it was devastating for the people who were doing it, but everybody understood why, Yeah, you know? So
0: we talked about how oftentimes we get to meet people that become our lifelong friends mm-hmm. when we're younger. And uh, I know some of my best friends, you also know and I've known them mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Now that I'm older, I find that I connect less with people in companies. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're lucky if you get one person out of a company that you become friends
1: Your with. Your takeaways, yeah. Yes. and or keepers, I call them, yeah.
0: And it's just weird. I don't know whether it's just where I am in my life, but it's. I do feel like I I'm finding it harder to connect with people. Do you find that different in age now or that you connect with smaller groups of people? Yeah,
1: I think definitely. I mean, there's definitely a separation when you're this age. You're one of just a few who may be that age or maybe you're it, Mm -hmm. you know, or there's one other counterpart (laughs) and whether or not you get along with that person or not. I think the difference for me is that I'm a mom of uh, 20 something and so I love that age. Mm, and that makes sense. I tend to embrace them in a way that maybe I wouldn't if I didn't have that experience, you know, as a mother. But I need time away from them, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, It's interesting. I, I definitely I'm a people person and I love to reach out and get to know people. If you are a positive energy, then I am totally on board. If I get a whiff of negative, then I'm not going to invest As much time in that but yeah definitely it's lessened as I've gotten older and I think it's just because you have so many people in your life I really maintain my relationships
0: yeah
1: and there's only so much you can do and so much you can do for others I think it's okay though yeah I don't feel badly about it I feel like I don't wish to be younger at all yeah I I... don't look at them and pine for it Mm I'm really happy to sort of have experienced what I've experienced and be able to be there for them and say, you know what, you're enough. You're doing great. Simmer down. Yeah. (laughs) It's all good, you know?
0: Yeah. And I guess it's too, it's finding what's important in your life Mm -hmm. and what's not when sometimes when it's just a show and it's just a job. Right now I'm going through a completely, a really difficult time Mm -hmm. emotionally. And I think when I was younger, I was able to be like, the show must go on and put on the brave face and not Mm -hmm. let anyone know. I know when Gary Beach died, mm-hmm. we both had a difficult time. I mean, how, when your real life, something horrible happens, mm-hmm. how do you put on a brave face and keep going? It's very different for us. I mean, you can call out, but you don't. It's not like you're behind a desk in right. a suit. You have to go out and smile and entertain people right. and, you know, be a fairy godmother. Whatever, yeah. whatever it is that you have to do. And sometimes it's you're just...
1: It's a responsibility. Horrible. To me it's not just a job but the responsibility is there to give the audience your best.
0: Mm-hmm. But that
1: doesn't mean you you leave everything at the door. Right. I mean I think that you bring it all with you and you offer it up maybe in a different way maybe the energy transforms differently. I think it's also beneficial to you when you are really going through something emotional to sort of give into the show. Because the show can buoy your spirits in a way that just life can't do sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Can turn your mood around for sure if you just give into it. Yeah, I just feel a great responsibility to each audience because they're seeing it for the first time, and it's up to me to give them my best. Got a kind of soldier on. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're not going to get maybe a more tearful expression of that. Right, exactly. Or a deeper expression of that or a different expression of that. It could be very different from what I would normally do, but it's still going to be my best effort.
0: Yeah. You know. And because I always say use use it. Yeah. Which is just, it's just hard because yes. it's, you know. And I guess I'm not as good at being fake as I used to be. Like, I used to be able to walk in and be like, put on that fake 20-year-old Put on, snide, on the mask, yeah. And now you, now you just walk in. And especially when we're doing a six-month contract, people... Yeah people kind of know you and they know your energies and they know when you're down. Mm -hmm. and, And you also said, I guess it's like that on tour too. You're someplace too long.
1: I know it's time for me to go when life on the road or life in the show is starting to become more real life. Like, I mean, I am where I am, but when the imbalance in that you're starting to give attention to the show or the people in the show more than the attention to your real partner or your real life at home or whatever that is that's the imbalance mm. and then I think oh it's time to go I'm always the first one out the door
0: oh really? because I
1: live in California right I'm always on tour in a way when I'm working at the level of a Broadway show or a Broadway tour mm. I mean and I invest my heart in that you know So it's always difficult to leave. But I know that I have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I've never spent more than a year really at a time. I've come and gone, but especially with a child. You know, I mean, Max was, how old was Max? He was, well, my first tour with with him as a child. He was only five or six. Oh, wow. And I was away from home for about five or six months. They came to see me, but I was like, I got to go home. And then they courted me, and then all three of us went out for a year.
0: Oh, right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it's just that realization where you think, okay, I'm starting to invest a little too much here. I need to go. I need to go back and invest back in my home life.
0: No, that makes complete sense. How have you uh, dealt with maybe sexual harassment or aging or body image and all that Mm -hmm. stuff that, I mean, men deal with it now, but it Mm -hmm. hasn't, it's a newer thing for men, or it's a newer thing that men talk about, I guess is a better way to say. But it's been on the women's radar forever. The casting couch was always about that. There's so much more pressure on women on their appearance. Uh, How has your experience been met with that?
1: Yeah. I've only been faced with it once, like in a sort of a devastating way. I didn't grow up a ballerina or in the dance world, so I didn't have that sort of body image issue. Mm. Like, I, ne- I, I never really thought about it. I just kind of went happy-go-lucky along my way, eating what I wanted and enjoying, you know, good physical health. Right. I was playing Wilma in the Flintstones show at Universal Studios, <laughs> right? And the costume was this really thick, heavy, white... Sort of tulip strapless tulip dress. Well, you know what Wilma yeah, looks yeah. like. So she has these big petals that come out. The biggest problem I ever had was that I was flat chested. Mm-hmm. If anything, that was the thing that was always so- an issue with somebody, you know. But once I got on board with that, I just go, oh, I need another pair of cookies, please. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so there's the enhancement there with the costume. Anyway, I got cast in the LA company of Beauty and the Beast, and the casting director called. And this, I didn't have an agent at the time, so it was their job to give me this news that I needed to lose 15 pounds. And my reaction was, what? No, no, I don't. (laughs) 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 And so I think I was just old enough at the time because I was in my, how old was I at that? I was 35 or 6 maybe when I got that job. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. You know, I go, I may have five extra pounds right now, but they, the director and the choreographer had just seen me play Wilma. And so they saw that all that white stuff and I was in a flat shoe yeah. and I had a big red wig on. And so it was just like bubbly sort of, yeah, you know, cartoon character. You know, a heel gives your leg a much better line. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, and I just remember thinking, it's not going to, pr- okay, great. I'm, it won't be a problem. And it never was mentioned again because, of course, it wasn't a problem. And the minute you start rehearsing again on that kind of a schedule, you drop five pounds or something. But fifteen? I go, 15? No, no. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the only time I've really... I mean, I was very nervous when I got cast in Drowsy because it's a 20s show. And at that point, I'd had, you know, a baby, and it had been five, six years since I'd been that active. And so I definitely had put on some pounds. And had, you know, my breasts were bigger and my hips were curvier. And so I had shifted into my 40s. And so my body was different than, mm. you know, women's bodies, you know, go through a lot. They <laughs> and do. so I was curvy. I was definitely a curvy girl. I was so scared about the costume fitting and what was going to happen because 20s clothes are very straight. Yeah. That Greg Barnes. Oh, Ugh, he is a magical. treasure. Yes. And he, I mean, the minute I knew I was in good hands. Those maid costumes from that show and our reporter costumes and everything. I mean, everything was just, I remember him and I'm doing gestures for you, but you can't see this, but just, and this goes a little, and I think if we just, and he would be so meticulous about where every little drape and pin and tuck and bow and where the bow landed on your hips, and where the buttons landed on the proportions yeah. to make you look and feel your best. And Angela Papello, who was my counterpart, you know, she was the other female All ensemble. Right. You know, she's five foot something, and we were so different to each other, so we didn't have any pressure to try to match somebody else or anything. You know, so that was awesome. Greg Barnes, man, oh, he's the best. He's amazing. Yeah. So every time I'm ever in a show with him, I I know I'm going to look great.
0: Yeah, well, I I agree. (laughs) So how have you had to deal with rejection and heartbreak and still move on? And did leaving the business and coming back, was that helpful? Because it's it's just something that the phone doesn't always ring.
1: Yeah, I think it really goes back to just when we first started talking about how are you defined. Mm. You know, I'm not defined by the business. It's never been that thing for me. I never had that kind of ambition either. You know, I love to cook. I love to garden, I love movie night, I love programs, <laughs> you know, I love to take a nap. You know, so it's just there's a lot of joy in life that comes from other places. And I just feel really lucky when it comes from something that other people find magical and, right. and exciting. There's nothing else like that, you know, when people go, Oh my god, I you know, something rotten and you're looking at I mean, I mean it's mind blowing, right? And so I, I totally embrace that. But when I go home, my biggest thing about it is, how am I going to be creative without the work? Mm-hmm. Where does that creative bug get massaged? Because that's what drives me. And that can be in a recipe, and that can be a flower in a in a pot. or It can be a, a collage. Right, <laughs> yes. You know, and it sort of satisfies me in a way that's, you know, I have a happy life with them. I mean, I've been married 40 years, so I'm really lucky oh, with, that's with a beautiful marriage and also a marriage that is sustained without having to be together 24 7, you know? So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And is that
0: hard to be away yes. that
1: much? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'd want it less and less. I didn't know like this current contract we're on. It's a seven month contract and it's this is a long time to be away from home now at this age. I I'm, mean I'm gonna be sixty next year. Wow. So it's it's less and less Fun, you know to be away from the comforts of home and the cat and the family and you know my parents God bless them are busy and wonderful and I want to be a part of that.
0: Do you have a rule of how many times you can have to see each other or how often?
1: No I don't and you know people do that and I think why are you doing that you know because you're counting the days all the time.
0: Yeah that's true.
1: So you're just focusing on what you don- you're not getting. No we don't do that. We've never done that. You know people go oh I'll never be away from you for three and I go well why, why? It's just arbitrary number of days. Mm. We just do our best to see each other when we can. We don't even talk every day. You
0: know? <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, when we talk, it's fun, but it's... I mean, we've been together so long, I know what he's doing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Know? No. Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
1: I mean, we just do our best. Wicked was tough because we were in Canada for several months, and it was hard because it was so expensive. So I didn't see Tom for a long time. That was probably the longest that we've gone without seeing each other. But when, you know, it's just like when you have a really good friend that you haven't seen for a while and you pick up where you left off and you're like, yeah. hey, I don't think it's healthy to pine, you know. Yeah,
0: no, it's true. Like, oh,
1: my God, I haven't seen you. It's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, just get to the joy. Yeah,
0: no, very true. <laughs> yeah. Of your long and incredible career, do you have <laughs> moments that just a standout or as a highlight pretty cool watching you fly in at the end of cinderella yeah. night and throwing the petals. i mean that yeah, seems that's pretty fun. magical yeah but.
1: that is magical there's so many there's so many but i think the one that really resonates the most i just like what immediately came to me was the tonys the first time mm. i got to perform on the tonys and it was my first broadway show And I was the only one making my debut, and we were all. You know, the cast was so much older, and so many of them had done several Broadway shows at that point. You know, and so they're looking at me like, they're looking. I remember it was Show Off. We were doing Show Off for the Tonys. And the hall has that huge elevator on the stage, you know, Radio City Music oh, yes. hall, right? And they whisk you in on a bus. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. So they whisk you in, you do your number, and they whisk you out, right? So you don't even really get to see this. Sp- I mean, you have that rehearsal, but it's just like you're not really in the space. So we're down below in the basement, all of us, while Bob Martin is up on deck doing the intro for the number. And he's doing a bit as man and chair. And so all of, I mean, the entire cast is down there on the elevator. And we're all just losing our minds with excitement. And I remember, you know, Patrick Wetzel, who is also a very good friend of yours, just looking at me and Danny Burstein saying, it never gets any better than this. Mm. It never gets any better than this, you know. And then the elevator started to go up. And you see those painted faces in the balcony. and And then as... The higher up you go, the more you're seeing the house and just that, because by then, the word was out, what drowsy was, and the love that was coming at us in that moment, that anticipation and excitement, I mean, there's nothing like that. Yeah. That, That to me is that moment where I was like, okay. Just get it right. (laughs) Exactly. Just get it right. Just get it right. That was a thrill. Yeah. Did you
0: know you were going to go with it if it went from L.A.? Because it's not a guarantee.
1: No. I mean, I never thought about it, honestly. Really?
0: Uh-uh. How do you not do that? Like, I always think. I mean, well, it, because
1: it wasn't, an, it was a new experience, too. Right. Yeah,
0: because it know, always, like, you always like, I didn't this, even this think about it. Go. Wow. So. I mean,
1: w- uh, we, and I saved this. We had an email thread from when we left L.A., and there's an email thread that is so ridiculous, because this is before texting and all of that mm, was right. going on. And it's between all of us, back and forth, about what people were hearing and what was going on. We knew we had a show that was really, really unique and special. And we knew that every single person there made it so. Yeah. So I don't think anybody doubted that they were going to go or not go. It wasn't even discussed or thought. Right, yeah. That email thread was... Because I was in L.A. and everybody else pretty much. I mean, Angela was still in L.A. too. So there was that divide of are we coming, are we coming, you know? Yeah. And it happened really quickly. We did Drowsy in the fall or winter, and then we started rehearsals like a couple of months later in New oh, York. Wow. We didn't have a long time yeah. before it was happening, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Ah, oh, so exciting. Yeah. I mean, there have been others that have not made it, which yeah. has been sad. I feel confident, I guess, about yeah. my my contribution in the mix. You know. Yeah, no,
0: it's amazing. So if I could end this podcast with one song from your life, what would it be?
1: The one song, this is so hard, because, and I know I've listened to so many podcasts that this question comes up, but it's tough. I think this embodies the spirit of how I approach it, is the 59th Street Bridge song, Feeling Groovy.
0: I like that one.
1: And there's the line, Life I love you, all is groovy.
0: Well, that's a wonderful way to end this. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last just... Kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun and feeling groovy Feeling groovy Hello, lamppost, what you knowin' I come to watch your flowers growin' Ain't you got no rhymes for me? Do it and do-do, feeling groovy promises to keep. I'm dappled and drowsy and ready to sleep. Let the morning time drop all its petals on me. Life, I love you, all is groovy.